Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Tribune Audio Network. It hit me very hard of how much we've lost our girl. She was so passionate, so full of life, and she's just a little shell that sits around and waits for mommy to get home. For 18 months, Caitlin Little and her parents have searched everywhere for an answer to why Caitlin wakes up each morning unable to remember what happened the day before. They've seen doctor after doctor, specialists on end, but they have yet to see neurologist Dan Kaufer. I'm the end of the line for a lot of cases like this within the state. I mean, I'm just kind of the magnet for these kind of people. From the Tribune Audio Network, I'm Fox 8's Bob Buckley, and this is Caitlin Can't Remember. It's dinner time at the little home on the edge of Greensboro, North Carolina. As Caitlin's mom, Jennifer, goes about making dinner for the family, Caitlin does her own thing. It's been like that since the accident. Caitlin is still very much a part of the family. But since her traumatic brain injury, she's different. And it's not just that she can't remember anything from day to day. Noise for just a minute, okay? Her sensitivity to noise and light, even her tastes are different. I like cayenne, paprika, cumin. Caitlin has her own small saucepan where she's sautéing some zucchini pasta. Now, how do you know they're cooked the way you want them? Because they're soft. Have you got that written down? No, I just know how to cook. Okay. Caitlin adds fresh cilantro and her spices and puts a little grilled salmon on it once it's done. She eats extremely well, maybe not in portion, but in nutritional quality. And that's a good thing. Her brain is going to need every bit of it if it's going to heal. You know her backstory by now. Caitlin was running a cross-country practice on October 12, 2017. Another runner accidentally hit her in the head, giving her a concussion, and she's woken up every day since, thinking it's only one day later, Friday, October 13, 2017, with no memory of the day that she just lived or any day since the accident. And 18 months in, her parents are running out of places to go to find answers. As we researched her story, we asked the doctors at all of the hospitals where she's been treated to talk to us about her case. Her parents, Chris and Jennifer, encouraged them to talk to us too. They signed all the release forms. None of the doctors, though, would talk to us. So we called a place that Caitlin hadn't gone to yet the Memory Loss Clinic at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I'm happy with it. I'm going to roll. Good. Uh, I'm going to start with the easiest thing, make sure. Dr. Dan Kaufer is the director there. I see the patients that other doctors look at and say, I don't know what's going on. Dr. Kaufer is the guy who, when you meet him, you quickly realize he's a man in demand, a physician that so many people are waiting to see 
waiting to ask for what often seems like a miracle. The brain is the only part of the body that's not replaceable. We have figured out how to replace virtually every other part of the body except the brain. The Littles hadn't taken Caitlin to see Dr. Calvert because they didn't know about his memory loss clinic. None of their other doctors referred them there. And since Dr. Kalfer hasn't examined Caitlin yet, what we're looking for from him is information about not only how the brain and memory work, but how someone can recover when it's all been damaged. How rare is a serious case of amnesia with TBIs? Is it pretty rare? In fact, traumatic brain injury-induced amnesia is actually fairly common. The first thing you learn researching a story like Caitlin's is the different form that memory takes. What she has the most trouble with is called episodic memory. Episodic memory is a memory that we rely on day to day to when we learn new information. This is episodic memory that we're talking about. The other main types of memory involve learning how to do tasks such as tying your shoe. That's called procedural memory. Uh, another type of memory is semantic memory, which is our knowledge of the world and basic facts, that there's seven days in a week, 12 months in a year, 52 cards in a deck, things like that. As we tell Dr. Kaufer about Caitlin's injury. But she can learn stuff through the day, but something happens at night. We tell him about how she was hit on the right side of the head, and that seems to be where most of the damage is, in her right hemisphere. Memories aren't so much stored in a certain part of the brain as they are recreated. When, when we lay down a memory, we're laying down a pattern uh, that's associated with electrical signals and, and chemical uh, processes that occur uh, oftentimes while we're sleeping through a process called consolidation. So whatever experiences we have during the day, a subset of them are processed during the night through consolidation and are things that we will remember beyond the day. Most of the things that happen to us on a day-to-day -day basis we forget and never get laid down as a memory. Now, when we're trying to remember something, it's not so much that we're looking at the address in the brain of where the memory is, as it is we're actually creating the pattern of electrical and chemical activity that laid down the memory in the first place. So in effect, we're not remembering something as much as we are recreating the memory trace of what happened. The second thing you learn researching Caitlin's story is how key sleep is to long-term memory. That's a biochemical and electrical process that primarily occurs while we're sleeping at night. And if somebody's able to remember things during the daytime, but not carry it over to the next day, that suggests to me that there is something not right with the memory consolidation process, which in turn may relate to some neurochemical aspect of sleep. As our discussion continues, Dr. Kaufer is more and more intrigued. God, I'd love to see her. I mean, this sounds very fascinating to me and not crazy fascinating. This sounds very biologically fascinating that for whatever reason, when her brain goes down, she loses the memories from the day before. And when it re-engages, when it reboots in the morning, she's stuck. Her calendar is stuck in a fixed time and place. And that kind of thing is not uncommon when you see people who develop dementia as they get into the later stages of the dementia, and they may say it's 1970, where they go, they're fixed in a previous date and time. And it sounds like that's what's happening to her. But it will be a while before Caitlin gets to see Dr. Kaufer. It's not so much that his patient load means appointments are scheduled three months out, although that is part of it. 
It's more that he needs her off the pain medications that she's on right now. And that brings us back to Dr. McIntyre's office. Correct me if I'm wrong, that through everything you guys have been through the last 15, 16 months, am I the first person to bring up the brainstem in a clinical setting? Correct. He's the chiropractor who specializes in the upper part of the spine and neck. Your brainstem is the very first thing created in your body. It's very, very important. He scans the back of Caitlin's neck with a device that looks like some laser gun from a science fiction movie. Here we go. He won't feel much from this. He uses that to begin the slow process of not just readjusting the bones in her upper neck, but to rewire the muscle memory so that those bones stay where they belong. That adjustment is essential, not just to proper blood flow to Caitlin's brain, but for her overall health. It's what governs and controls your nervous system. And what it does is it more or less acts like a switchboard operator between the brain and the rest of the body. Or to use a more modern example, Caitlin, more like a cell tower and a phone network. But the misalignment in Caitlin's neck is so severe, the most severe Dr. McIntyre has seen, it's going to take a lot to get it back to what's healthy. And because of the way Caitlin's body has responded to it, the process is very painful. So painful, she's on those prescription pain medications, but they don't seem to be doing any good. When I see her at her house recently, she's sitting as she always does, quietly in a dark corner with a foam brace around her neck. This is a teenager who, before her injury, was always talking, always social. Now there's something that just seems dark about her. The pain is winning, and fighting back against that pain has become the focus of her parents' work. Late on a Thursday afternoon, we're back at the doctor's office Caitlin was first sent to. They're doing an upper cervical MRI Here you go. to see if there is underlying damage that the neck adjustments are just now revealing. Caitlin, that's it. You're finished. Most adults don't do as good as you did, Caitlin. The thought is there may be some bone or soft tissue damage that happened when she was hit. But the radiologist tells them something they weren't expecting to hear, that there isn't any damage. It all looks good in there. That's good news because it eliminates a problem that would be more difficult to fix. It's normal. As the doctor tells them what they're dealing with, she clinches her fist to demonstrate how the muscles in Caitlin's neck are spasming, tightening up as a response to the neck adjustments. I'm not blaming the neurochiropractor. They were trying to do what's best for you. Your muscles just reacted badly. But right. muscles can do that. That's Dr. Anna Wojtek. She read the MRI results. As she sits in the exam room with Caitlin and her parents, she gives them a reassuring smile when she says, We know how to fix this. The next step, the doctor says, is to add some muscle relaxants to what she's already taking and massage therapy. But that's going to take a while. And the littles feel as if they're now living at doctor's offices. You ready to get out of here? <laughs> but it seems there is always another doctor's office to go to. My name is Dr. Michael Trayford. We see brain injury of all types. Typically our, uh, you know, sweet spot as they call it, or our wheelhouse is concussion and post-concussion syndrome. Dr. Michael Trayford is in Asheville, North Carolina, in the western hills of the state. 
This is a place people from all over the eastern half of the country come to, to enjoy the avant-garde city in what the writer Thomas Wolfe called the timeless valley amongst the magnetic hills, his absolute unity in the midst of eternal change. Wolf was born and grew up here. Caitlin is coming, simply looking for some answers. People want definitive answers, but sometimes they're just not available. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and this is what we try to do is turn over as many stones as possible to see if we can uncover some of those answers. And sometimes we can't, so all we can do is work with the functions that we see are somewhat deficient and bring them up to the highest levels that we possibly can in the shortest period of time. While some of the doctors, uh, the neurologists have been saying, oh, well, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong, she has a normal MRI, um, our research showed that half the people in a coma have a normal MRI, so that's when we realized that that's probably not the best diagnostic tool. That's why we went to Asheville to get the uh, QEEG. A QEEG is a special form of that test. It's a brain scan that Dr. Trayford uses. Uh, quantitative EEG is basically raw EEG data that we take and we compare to age and gender matched databases. So we compare to other girls her age without any type of brain injury, uh, what we call normative or average databases. And we see where there's differences. If there's too much of certain types of activity in one part of the brain, too little of certain types of activity in other parts of the brain. So it's comparative and database driven. Dr. Trayford has a specialty clinic called the Apex Brain Centers, and he's the only doctor trained in neurology who has examined Caitlin and was willing to talk to us about what he found. She came in for what we call the day of discovery, where it's a, a full five-hour battery of testing. The quantitative EEG or QEEG is just a part of that. Dr. Trayford pulls up a series of brain scans he wants to show us, but before he gets into what he's found in Caitlin, he wants us to know something about the part of the body that he has studied his entire adult life. And the fact is the brain is a very, uh, what we would call, greedy organ. It requires a lot of fuel. So if there's any restriction in blood flow, uh, any decrease in fuel delivery like glucose and things like that, certain fats, uh, the brain will be the first to suffer because it uses an extraordinary amount of fuel. That means that to do even rudimentary tasks, the brain needs a lot of fuel to produce the electrical activity that performs those tasks. Dr. Trayford points to the scan that is an image of Caitlin's naked brain with lights flashing in certain areas. The more the lights flash, the less electrical activity that's going on in that part of her brain. This scan is what he got when Dr. Trayford had Caitlin look at some basic shapes projected on the wall. With basic visual input, now her entire front brain is struggling to process. All she's looking at is a screen with some basic visual input, and that front brain is now struggling to get things done. Uh, so imagine if we gave her a task reading a book or solving some math problems. This whole entire thing would just light up. Next, he draws a circle around areas shaded in blue another indicator that the electrical and biochemical processes that should be happening there aren't. We're seeing uh, less activity in the front, less activity in the rear. What does this mean? This is really where we're focused. She has tremendous deficits in alpha brainwave activity. Alpha brainwaves are what help us corral our attention, our focus, and if we don't have attention and focus, we can't learn effectively. So you can learn things, but they're not gonna stick around very long because we don't have the ability to muster the resources necessary to encode those memories. The best analogy here is driving the car with the foot on the brake because right here the foot's on the brake. There's less than normal activity. So with that now, 
the fast activity or the high beta activity really has to ramp up. And she's just sitting here with her eyes closed. But because her alpha activity is so low, her front brain has to work extra hard just to, just to be awake. Now, that is not a good thing. So we asked the question of Dr. Trayford that we've asked everyone. Is there any explanation for why she forgets today when she wakes up tomorrow? But the fact is sleep is probably the, most, the single most important factor when it comes to brain health, particularly encoding of memories. What we learn throughout the course of the day is encoded or hardwired, essentially, when we sleep. But the fact is, if the brain is under a significant amount of undue stress during the day with high cortisol responses, coupled with the, the low alpha brainwave activity that we're seeing, um, she just may simply not have the capacity to allow those connections to happen while she's sleeping. That confirms what Dr. Kaufer suggested. And Chris and Jennifer were finally getting some answers. They were hearing why Caitlin couldn't remember. But that, too, has its price. It's something we had in our gut. We knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Never expected to see the entire right side of her brain not functioning mm. at all. And the left side working so hard that it was pooping out midday, which made sense of what we were seeing with her every day. Everything made sense. It's just not the sense we wanted to hear. As with every physician we've spoken to, there are ideas, suggestions about what Caitlin should try to help her heal but there are never guarantees. We're dealing with the brain, and yeah. there's nothing predictable about the brain. Dr. Trayford believes neurofeedback can help Caitlin reactivate dormant parts of her brain, sort of like a good workout for those synapses. And he brings me into a room at the end of a long hall in his office to show me something else he thinks would be very beneficial. Okay, probably good to go. Okay. He asked me to sit down at the machine he calls so, the Mohawk. Low level it's a metal machine that has a little arm that hangs down over my head. That arm has what looks like three little cylindrical cameras that point at my head. One right at my forehead, another on the top, and a third in the back. Dr. Trayford tells me it's a cold laser. We have a very specific wavelength of laser that we utilize uh, with very low power that does not create heat, which means it's safe for use in areas um, around the head. Um, the fact is we're not promoting heat and tissue. That doesn't cause damage, so there's virtually no side effects with low-level laser therapy. Uh, the impacts are increasing blood flow. The impacts have uh, been shown in the literature to uh, increase what we call neurogenesis or production of new nerve cells, uh, neuroplasticity, connectivity between nerve cells. It's not an answer, but it is something. It's hope. And Dr. Trayford says that's nothing to dismiss. The fact is, never lose hope. I mean, the, the family is a shining example of what it takes to get people to where they need to be. Because my 20 years at this, I have seen people that have been written off by everyone, including their families, their friends, their healthcare providers, and sometimes themselves. And then they've gotten to the point where they found the appropriate resources, whether it's us or somebody else, that doesn't matter. Um, but the fact that they keep seeking, that they never lose hope, hope is the, the, the greatest catalyst of recovery, bar none. People will call that placebo. Uh, they will call it other things. But the fact is, we'll take it. If that's enough of a catalyst to get people to where they need to be. And one or two. Back in the Littles home in Greensboro, they're doing what they can to keep their hope going. But there are also decisions to be made. Jennifer likes what Dr. Trayford told them. This gentleman, is, is, he did an amazing thing. He finally explained what was going on. He didn't but resources are not unlimited. Between Chris's one-man construction business 
and Jennifer's job teaching in elementary school, they're tapped out financially. They've been down most of the conventional avenues. What is left available to them is considered by most insurance companies to be experimental and not covered. So when it comes to making the nearly three-hour drive back to Asheville for treatment by Dr. Trayford, I think we need to talk. He comes at quite a price, and he could, when we were with him, I love him and I send people to him because I believe in what he does to get you started. I don't know if he's seen anything like Caitlin, and I'm not going to spend the time and the money unless you can say you're really going to get something out of that. So they're back to square one. And the more Caitlin's condition remains the same, the more the dynamic in their house changes. That's apparent not just to the six littles who live there. Caitlin's school counselor, Christine Albright, has seen it too in Caitlin's older sister, Sarah. I even remember asking one day, Kate, um, Sarah, how she was doing, and she says, sometimes I dismiss my sister. How do I say this? We asked Sarah about that. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. Because for, for everybody else, they get to graduate, get the car, you know, go to prom and remember it. And I want her to experience that stuff. I want her to be happy. So does their mom, Jennifer. Yes. But you see the resolution come over Jennifer's face as I ask her um, if this is going to be as good as it gets. The thought that this may be life, this might be it, is inconceivable. I just keep thinking the thought that you are here filming us seems surreal. And I've lived this now 15 months, 24 hours a day, nonstop thinking about it. And I just still cannot believe this is our family. What do you do when all the plans for your life get blown up in a moment that you had no control over? That story in the next episode of Caitlin Can't Remember. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can rate it or comment, it will really help us get the word out. Caitlin Can't Remember is written and reported by me, your host, Bob Buckley. Chris Weaver is our producer and editor. Our executive producer is Kevin Daniels. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.